1: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
2: First positions, everyone. Yo, go! And Action! Hello and welcome episode 344 of the Filmmaker's Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films to high-end TV and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director, and producer. And on today's show... We have Lorenzo de Bonaventura. He is a huge film producer. He's a Hollywood film producer, best known for producing G.I. Joe and the Transformers series. His films have earned over seven billion, that's right, billion, at the box office. He was president of worldwide production for Warner Brothers. His tenure there included discovering The Matrix. And getting the rights to the Harry Potter books. Some of his credits as a producer include Four Brothers, Shooter, Transformers, Stardust, G.I. Joe, Jack Ryan, Bumblebee, Pet Cemetery, Snake Eyes, Salt, Red, Man on a Ledge, Only the Brave, The Last Stand, Deepwater Horizon, American Assassin, Plane, Constantine, The Meg, (laughs) Doom, Derailed Side Effects 1408, and that's just some of them, uh, and very recently Transformers Rise of the Beasts, which is what myself and Dom Lenoir, my fellow host for the day, sat down to talk to Lorenzo about. I mean, it, it's, it was such a delight to talk to him. He was so open and gave us so much knowledge and information of what it's like in the trenches of making Hollywood movies. Uh, myself and Dom sat down at the Corinthia Hotel, deep in London, near the Thames River, and we talked about what it's like making Hollywood movies. We talked about filming huge set pieces and the restrictions you can get by doing so. Why they decided to shoot in Peru, what he looks for in directors, how they find the Transformers stories, and he gives you some amazing advice. He also talks about why you should treat people well, why psychology is vital for a producer and why you should read history books on filmmaking. He also talks about how hard it is getting a good script and why it takes time, and why perseverance is key. How you can protect yourself on a film set, how he raises finance for his films, which he still has to do, and where he finds his material. I I don't know what else to tell you. This man is a legend, and it's such an honour to have him on the Filmmakers podcast, Uh, so I really hope you get so much from this do send us a message on Twitter on Instagram at the Filmmakers Pod and tell us what you thought and, and just say thank you and a huge shout out to Paramount for getting us uh, this chat not only did they get this chat with Lorenzo de Bonaventura but also we had a chat with the director of Transformers Rise of the Beast Stephen Caple Jr and its stars Anthony Ramos and Dominique Fishback that will be coming up for you on part two because there was so much it would have been an hour and a half and I thought why not put this into two parts make this a special with Lorenzo and then on Friday we have a special with the director and the stars Anthony Ramos who was a lead in the heights he starred in Hamilton Dominique Fishback she starred in Judas and the Black Messiah And they both sat down with myself and Dom and we had a right laugh. And also gave us so much brilliant knowledge and information about shooting huge films like this. And Stephen Caple Jr. is the director of Creed 2. But more on those when I do the intro for you on Friday. So how have you been? How's your week been so far? I know it's only Tuesday. But hey, you've had all of Monday to sort stuff out, to send emails, to write a new page of your script. And what about last week? That was a full four days. Um, What are you doing in the week coming up to go out there and make your films and to make it happen for you? You know, really think about who you're targeting this week. Maybe that's the way to do it. Maybe you're going to reach out to someone for some advice. That might kickstart you. Do you know what? Go on IMDB and look for an email of someone you really respect and go, do you know what? I'm just going to send an email and say, hey, have you got five minutes? I'd love to some advice about how i can get my film made and make sure it's someone you really care about and someone whose films you really respect and write that as your headline i love your films mate look if you've got five minutes i'd love to pick your brains It might not answer because they're very busy people but hey go for it go for all sorts this week go for everything if you want to be a filmmaker no one is knocking on your door no one is making stuff happen for you but you so do it go out there and make things happen that's all the greats do it and that's what you've got to do too um, if you do like this podcast please tell your pals this is how we grow this is how we get these amazing guests on and hopefully we can keep doing that for you uh, and I can spend the time <laughs> doing them as well so do tell your pals it's lovely when we get lovely responses as well so do jump on uh, iTunes slash Apple and give us a nice review why not? Why not? I'll shout you out for it. Oh, and then next Tuesday's episode, we have The Greatest Days director, Koki Detroit, joining us. Uh, The Greatest Days is the Take That musical, which is out in cinemas now. And that film, me and Dom loved. But that's coming up for you next Tuesday. For now... This is the Hollywood producer, Lorenzo de Bonaventura, talking about his latest film, Transformers, Rise of the Beasts, which is out now in cinemas, and what it's like as a Hollywood producer.
1: Sit back, relax, and enjoy. So, how are you feeling? Welcome. Well, you know, when the movie plays well to its audience, you
0: feel pretty good. Yes. <laughs> we, we were we were at the premiere last night, oh, and uh, I can say it was... One of the biggest premieres I've seen in, in Leicester Square, and the reactions were amazing. There was lots of oohs and ahs, lots of sort of diehard fan moments in the audience mm-hmm. when certain things happen. We won't go too much into spoilers. Yes. Uh, but it seemed like a very good good response, for sure. Yeah, it's
1: been, you know, we've been uh, Singapore, Mexico City, New York, you know, we're going all over the place. And, and the audiences are just really reacting like that, which is pretty good feeling i gotta tell you it must be it must be amazing you've had such an amazing career as
2: well you know going back uh making movies must just be incredible how does this one compare oh can you even compare them how does it feel Not really
1: they're kind of like comparing your kids a little bit but the experience <laughs> you always have them. a favorite <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just can't <laughs> you tell can't, tell can't anyone. <laughs> I, exactly exactly right because the other kids get upset with you, Indeed, you know? yes. um you know what was very different here was going to peru and going mm-hmm. to Peru for such a long period of time. And then on top of it, we're like in the jungle for thirty days. Yeah. You know, sweating, sweating. It was so hot. And then we're the next thing you know, we're at ten thousand, twelve thousand feet shooting. So one you couldn't breathe, the other you couldn't get cool. It yes. was but it was it was an amazing adventure really.
2: Yeah, it must have been. I remember seeing that uh, yesterday at the premiere on the mm-hmm. screen and just seeing Peru and uh, I want to pronounce it right, Michu... Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu. You didn't pronounce <laughs> I wanted to. <laughs> and seeing that, I went, oh my God, they got to film there. And yeah, that was, was, was my instant reaction. I was yeah. like, is that real? Is that CG? No, no, no. they were there. Yeah. How's yeah. about actually organizing Well, it's a that.
1: magical place, first sure. of all. And, a, and apparently, they have only allowed it once before and mm. it didn't go well. Mm, so they banned yeah. it for a very long period of time and, and there were a lot of rules about how you shot there
0: because... No real Transformers? No real
1: transformers. <laughs> Although there were some articles in the Prue papers going, how dare they bring transformers up on it? They're going to ruin it. And it's like we tried to explain to them, no. And it's like it was really people were irate, you know. And then, yeah, I mean, what was interesting was that's about 9,000 feet we're at the highest, I think. And, um, you know, you're, you're you're hefting equipment up there, but you're not allowed to bring cranes. You're not allowed to bring a lot of the things that we use, batteries, all that stuff, food. None of that. So you had to go up and down and up and down. And we also created some rigs uh, out of uh, PVC piping. Right. Which Ah, we put on the shoulders of our cameramen. So it was like we had a mini crane or something just because we had a little bit higher then. So it was just – it really made you feel like you were doing something – Not only incredibly cool, because what a place, Mm -hmm. but also I'm sure the originators of film must have felt like, yeah, this is the first time anybody's done this, you know? Um, And it's kind of a cool feeling when you're breaking new ground.
0: Yeah, certainly.
1: Or maybe old ground in this case. (laughs) Yes.
0: But how do you get
1: permissions for somewhere like that? And I mean, like you say,
2: they very rarely allow it for Mm -hmm. anyone. As filmmakers, this is a filmmakers podcast, um, as a producer, how do you even start to try and get permission for somewhere like
1: that well you have to follow the rules if you try to cut in line if you try to go above the right people's heads in any country it never works so uh there's a ministry there that's particularly in charge of that and we went through the process and and i think if we had only shot in machu picchu they would have said no But they recognized that we're showing the jungle, we're showing Cusco, we're showing the... Culture. The culture. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't like we were there, I think from their... I know from their perspective, just to exploit Machu Picchu. We were there to show the country and the people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it took a while, but we got there. Amazing. You did. Yeah. And once, once they said yes, it was... They were incredibly protective of the place and... It was interesting, like, you know, you look at the stones, and mm. it's very important to call them stones, not rocks. Okay, yep. good to know. Okay. Um, <laughs> you look at the stones, and you think, oh, I can sit on that. You're not allowed to sit on it. You're not <laughs> allowed to lean against it. You know, it's like... Ultra
0: oh, sacred, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's, which is great. Mm. And, mm. Uh, and it kind of fits in the motif of the movie in the sense of of cultures colliding, if you would. You know, and it's just another ancient culture in this case.
0: Did you have any challenges with altitude sickness uh, with the crew or the cast? Like, how did you kind of get around those kind of problems?
1: Everybody had that problem one one day or another, you know. And if you started forgetting to drink water, you really got hammered. Uh, yeah, you know, it took a while. We tried to go slow and do all the right things, but... Eventually, everybody got hit with something in the jungle, which was very specific, mm. and uh, <laughs> and uh, something in altitude. You know, there'd be a day where you're just like, I can't go. Mm. I just got to lie down. So, yeah, that was part of the drill.
0: So, I suppose on on this sort of level of production, it's having the infrastructure to have backups or the sort of flexibility to like move to like lighter scenes or different scenes. Um, maybe shoot a different cast member if they're out. It's that kind of, I suppose you have to give yourself a lot of leeway. Um, You
1: definitely have to be nimble. And, um, you know, Peru is not a country that has a a big film infrastructure. So we had to pretty much either bring what we were going to do or um, just sort of go with the flow and see what happens, you know, which is true in a lot of, of countries. You know, it was interesting. We had some Peruvian crew that were really great. Um, and since you've seen the movie, the carnival scene mm-hmm. was 750 extras, um, which was really interesting during COVID.
2: Yes, I imagine. So it <laughs> wasn't a
1: real carnival
2: that you were sort of jumping on top because COVID was, like you say, around. So there probably wasn't a carnival scene. So
1: all the all the costumes and all the floats mm-hmm. are what they use in their carnival. Right. They just brought them out for us. So in a sense, we recreated it. Got
0: you. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So there wasn't anything sort of pre-existing that you sort of tapped into certain areas and
1: we wanted to but i don't think it would have been manageable because no, no, like the now you've got it. a
0: crowd going
1: on and what are these idiot filmmakers doing yeah. here you know get out of the way, <laughs> exactly right? yeah so <laughs>
0: you got robots flying around yeah what is that guy right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. what's going on here yeah yeah. yeah yeah
1: no you had to have control mm. but you know it was funny because the script originally was set in reno rio rio, rio huh. and that was carnival yeah, and I always wanted to go to Machu Picchu, and I kind of felt like we've seen Rio a lot, mm. but we haven't seen Peru, and no. we definitely haven't seen Machu Picchu. Definitely. So I said to the writer, "Put Machu Picchu in there," mm. and somehow <laughs> and, it stayed.
2: I'll just know? have and to get permission later, yes. right? Yeah. And then
1: yeah. what was crazy was they had their own version of a carnival, mm-hmm. so it was always written in. It just it's a different yeah. carnival,
0: yeah, was, and equally as rich culture as well. Yes, yeah. equally as yeah. rich,
2: and. On that you know you picked a brilliant director with Stephen Cable Jr., oh. but yet you know he'd done Creed two before that, yep. but not necessarily anything as big as this transforms no. as its own beast literally yeah uh, to do a yes. pun so why him you know for you as a producer to pick someone like him yep. as a director, what was it? What was the things that worked for you?
1: Well, you have to go back to Bumblebee for a second because yeah. bumblebee I think was ver- was very successful in creating an intimate emotional experience for the audience. And we really wanted to bring that into the bigger scale. Mm. And so we were looking for directors that had a great sense of emotion, great sense of character development. And if you look at his work in television and in movies, he draws really great characters and really understands, I'll say, emotions of humanity. He's got a very strong sense of humanity individually. So when we met with him, that was our thinking. Um, We can help teach him, offer him the tools of technology, and we've done it a lot, so we know how to sort of bring somebody up to speed a little bit. And we do have somebody in our back pocket named Michael Bay who mm-hmm. can explain to a director, yeah. director director, what's the fear, what's the tricks, what's that as a director. But what really sold the deal was uh, he, is a, he grew up with Beast Force, mm-hmm. uh, And yeah. so he couldn't believe it. And, and I think one of the satisfying aspects of this movie and i think it's of the transformer series is we take it really seriously in terms of its execution and in terms of its mythology mm-hmm. we're not taking ourselves too seriously but i think one of the reasons why these movies look good is in part because we really own the dna of it mm-hmm. and so knowing that he had that in him mm-hmm. i knew one of the hardest parts of owning the character is that
0: and and sort of going on to that point because i mean i, I grew up on the the transformers movie i used to watch mm-hmm. the TV series. tv series that was like great right. you know ecstasy me feel old. ecstasy yeah. to me as a kid
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, i hear you're doing an animation though is that right we are we are yeah very cool
0: very cool um but but how do you how do you balance i mean this one to me felt like one of the more closely linked to i mean you've got unicron Mm -hmm. you've you've got a lot of moments with like bumblebee i'm not going to get too much into it but you've got a lot that sort of fits into that original um part of it how much do you as a producer try and lean into the original source material versus creating something new and and how much was that collaboration with steven um to kind of you know with what he knew and what he liked versus what you were kind of trying to do as a new franchise
1: well Hasbro has a book that we call the Transformers Bible and it literally has the entire lore which is stuff that even hardcore fans don't even know because it's so obscure some of it, right? So every time we go back and we read it, reread it because it uh, there's several things about it. One is we're, we we want to be true to the mythology, but also it like refreshes you about what's there. And so ideas come back They come in and out in these movies sometimes. You know, we were debating the Maximals for a long time. But how do you... Cars and animals don't fit so naturally together. Mm. So how do you find an environment where that made sense, which is one of the reasons we went to Peru, is because jungle is where these kinds of animals can exist, right? Animals, yeah. They can't hide in an urban environment the way our Autobots can. And so, you know, we toss around ideas for a long time, like we have several ideas right now about where else we could go for a spectacular sort of adventure for the audience and for ourselves. So those will sit around, they'll simmer. But fundamentally on this one, we wanted to bring in the Maximals. And, um, and that was the challenge was to put these, I'll say, you know what, even though they're related, they're different cultures in a way. Right. And so that was one of the interesting sort of clashes we had to figure out. And, what was, what was, I think, particularly um, surprising is when we first did it, it seemed too easy. Like, mm. it just didn't feel natural that these guys have never met each other. Just like, hey, let's go and kill the bad guy. Yes. Yeah. Right, you yeah. know? Um, and so it's why we put hostility in that opening scene is because you needed to earn a little bit. hmm this union, if you would. And even so, as you know, since you've seen the movie, we keep alive the distrust notion amongst many of them mm. because our feeling was that's kind of how you'd feel. Yeah. Um, going
2: on to producing then and making mm. movies like this, is there any kind of, like you mentioned there, you've got Michael Bay in your corner as well, etc. But you've been involved, you know, a, a long time with these and a long time in making movies. Is there any kind of tips for our audience in terms of producing that you've learned over the time that will be very useful, not just Mm -hmm. with the big franchise, but also the other... I've made a lot of small movies, too. Exactly,
1: yeah. Um, Well, I think the first thing is there is... You cannot be dogmatic. You've got to be really flexible because no matter how well you plan it, it goes wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I think think the biggest tip, in a way, is um, the psychology of it is super important. How you treat people is... How do you get, you know, in uh, Transformers case, we have over 3,000 people. And if you look at the carnival scene, there just in that scene is 750 people plus crew plus, plus, plus. So it's an interesting challenge to get everybody to move in the same direction. You know, try talking four or five people and to go into going in the same right yeah. direction. Suddenly you go, you know, mm-hmm. here's a 1,000. Now what? Yeah. So I would say that um, psychology is actually a huge part of how you produce you know that's i really when i'm when i talk to film schools and i always say to them you know while you're at film school take a psychology course that's Mm -hmm. the one that's going to really help you Mm -hmm. it really will um plus we're a bunch of neurotic creatives Mm -hmm. so you know it's probably the best training
0: ground a psychiatrist
1: could ever have
0: well it's it's very true i think it is it applies to directing as well i mean i i took psychology and media and film at, at university because those were kind of the things that interested me about people and storytelling and you can't be a good storyteller if you're not a good understander of people and if you have any kind of loose chain or situations that people aren't getting on a film is not going to be successful um you know I, I, mean, I imagine well, it's even worse on a bigger I would
1: say this it will be successful by will but it will not be a fun experience do you know what I mean i mean mm. i've worked on or been an executive on a lot of films where some principles don't get along particularly well. Um, it's just unpleasant. Yeah. But the truth is you got to motivate most of the people, if not all the people, you know. Mm. And But I do think also I read a lot of history books of Hollywood. Mm. I still do. I'm yeah. reading uh, Robert De Niro, the unauthorized biography. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Bob. Um, <laughs> He's listening. Bob. And... Um, and you know, you get tips. You just do it more than anything. You sort of un- you un- you begin to understand the flow of it, and you begin to understand the power structure of it. So, yes, there's the execution, but there's also like you've got to convince people. You got to understand who you have to convince to get a project made, and those books offer really valuable really valuable stuff mm. yeah i've been reading quite a few of those old hollywood mm. ones as well and, and I, I don't think there's any particular secret you know you do have to enjoy a story yes and, and understand and care about what it is and what i mean by that is is if you try to be cynical um like well this will be successful you're dead mm. you gotta like just know it and then hope it's successful.
0: So, so on a, on a on a franchise like this, obviously you've you've worked on Bumblebee. There's a kind of a template for the other Transformer movies. You've you've done Hollywood. How does the process of getting this up and running as a sort of a franch- you know, as a, as a single film, um, come about? Is it okay? Well, we want to do a Transformer movie every year, every two years. Um, what do we want to do this time? Like, how, how does the, you know, is there board meetings? Like, how does the actual nuts and bolts of let's make well, this movie?
1: Well, fundamentally, the financier, the studio. Is the one that's going to dictate to a large extent timeframes. It would be we'd be dead if we tried to do one every year because this one took two and a half years. And now we were dealing with COVID, so it's a little bit. But most of the time, it's full two years. Um, And so, I personally I prefer about a three year time frame. But Mm -hmm. often now people are more anxious to keep making movies, so sometimes we're working on a two year time frame it's super hard because it doesn't leave you a lot of room to be wrong. It takes a while to develop a good script. You know, it just doesn't happen every once in a while you get super lucky, but generally speaking, it's a heavy lift and takes a period of time before you can even do it. And and I think with what is particularly difficult for a studio is you have to spend hundreds of millions of dollars before you really see anything. You know, you're committed to not only the production budget, but you're committed to the marketing budget, which is sometimes bigger. Mm. So, you know, it takes a while to get a corporation behind that. The good news for Transformers is so far it's been very successful. And so they're anxious to keep us going. Um, But, you know, individual films themselves take, it's so interesting. I did a movie called Side Effects. Mm -hmm. We had that script for nine and a half years. Wow. Could not get it made. Couldn't get it made. And that's where I think perseverance is probably the number one, the number one thing you got to recognize is rejection. It's a business of rejection, yeah. So you better have perseverance because otherwise you're going to fold up your tent and get out real fast.
2: Mm -hmm. That's so true and so lovely that you say that as well, especially coming from yourself, so successful. That'll help our listeners so much. What happens when something goes wrong? on a set or mm-hmm. something goes on like you say you you're about to make something but maybe we talk about set life as well mm-hmm. how do you deal with major problems obviously you're trying to put those fires out beforehand but then something else happens what's
1: what do you do what's what's your techniques um i don't know if it's really a technique but it's staying calm under fires definitely uh you try to surround yourself first of all the way you protect yourself is to hire professionals um, if they really know their job, the chance of things going wrong, drastically wrong, get reduced a lot. Um, and I do think the bigger movies, because it's such a big crew, I said to Steven when, when he came aboard, I said, look, a lot of movies, smaller movies, there's the general, the director, and then there's some lieutenants. Yeah. On a movie like Transformers, there's a lot of lieutenant generals. <laughs> And if you don't give them the ability to make decisions, you'll freeze up and crash because it's too many decisions. No one person can make that many decisions. And so well, I think for a director, what's very different is they have to give up a certain amount of control. Uh, and the way that that gets comfortable is by really making sure everybody's in line with the vision. Mm. You know, So for me with a script, for instance – what happens if the script starts going wrong during production, yes. right? You know, the director, generally speaking, doesn't have the time to stop and work on the script. So if I'm taking the writer aside and working with them, I got to be 95% in sync with the director so that when I'm, when I'm communicating to the writer, I'm pretty close to hundred percent sure that that's where the director wants us to go. Or if, if not, I'm close enough that all they need to do is a tweak.
0: So you're very creatively involved all the way very through Very much
1: so, yeah. No, it's, it's it's some of the fun of this, you know, that and puzzle solving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the old Sudoku. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the <laughs> For corner. sure.
0: And, and do, you, do you ever have situations where you, you know, you, you go through the pitching phase of thing maybe with the director uh, or, you know, it could be some other creative mm-hmm. um, and they seem to be on the page or they've pitched a certain way and then you get to the shoot and they're trying to do it a different way. Yep. Like, how do, you, how do you how do you how do you how do you deal with that? Like, I mean, has that happened a lot?
1: You know, I think uh, earlier in my career, I didn't listen closely enough, and I think one of the things we all do naturally is we believe that over time the other person is going to come around to your point of view, and it's just not true. So you need to really listen to whoever you are hiring. You know, especially a writer or a director. Um, or an actor, I guess, to a certain degree. But that's not really what we interview an actor about. Um, you really have to listen carefully what they're saying to you at first because that's where they're going to go. And you're not going to, you know, unless they run into the brick wall you see coming, which having been around long enough, sometimes I can see the brick wall. And some directors um, can hear you going, you're going to hit a brick wall. Um And some just can't hear it until they run into the wall. So, you know, which I understand. I I probably, certainly when I was younger, I ran into a lot of brick walls and probably didn't listen very well.
2: and that is interesting, isn't it? That we The youth of it, you go, it's all right, I can do it. And actually, yeah. sometimes that's inspiring as well. Yeah. Because you need someone to be charging and charging. 100%, and pushing the and limit. And
1: pushing and learning and Absolutely. failing by learning.
2: As long as they do that, as yeah. long as they do sort of yeah. learn by their failings, it's yes. the ones that don't is, is the bigger issue.
1: Well, it's also, you know, it's attitude. Uh, Stephen uh, recognized he did not have the ego that said, Oh, I can't admit I've never really done a visual effects, you know, so he could listen to the DP or the producer or the visual effects supervisor in a way that I've seen other people fail at because, you know, their ego did not allow, uh, taking in something that you did. You know, And I said to him from the beginning, look, I've seen your movies. You've never had to tangle with this. It's okay. Right. We're going to give you all the tools and then you're going to figure out how to make it your own. You know, and then when you see the movie, it has a, you know, technologically really strong, but it also has his twist on it. Mm.
0: I suppose it's about surrounding the sort of the, you know, in in this case, like a very strong creative drama director with Mm -hmm. the Hollywood machine. And everyone who's done the Hollywood machine knows how to do these jobs to a very, very high level. Mm. Can I ask you about how in some of your earlier maybe non-studio movies mm-hmm. how you maybe struggled with getting stuff financed uh, getting it made because that's kind of the other flip side of it sure
1: uh, you know what both sides are really hard to do like it's just hard to get movies made period um i think having worked inside a studio i understand the mechanisms more than i understand the indie world um i've done a fair number of independent movies and i think the trickiest part for me of an independent movie is that you don't know the money's real until it starts flowing and even then you're not 100% sure and that's a really interestingly destabilizing feeling you know when the studio says yes the money's there it's coming you don't have to sweat that part of it I think also what I found very interesting in the independent world is everybody every foreign film finance company has a completely different point of view of which star means what, Mm -hmm. which director means what, right? So, you know, in fact, I actually talked to somebody last night who just did an independent film and never got paid, you know? So I understand the sort of um, insecurities that that brings about process. If you don't know, you're going to have the money. That's really a hard thing, but I find the hardest thing is every film finance company seems to have a completely different point of view of what's meaningful. You know, is the director meaningful? Well, I think he is, or she is. And they're like, mm, half of them are yes, or quarter of them are yes, quarter are sort of mixed, and half no. Same with the stars. So I find that's what's really tricky uh, in putting together a movie. You know, the process, once you start, not really different. And whether you're a big movie or a small movie, you never have enough money. So there's a real similarity in that you do about that then like you say
2: streamers are saying they're perfect if you're just bringing it streaming or you know that actor's brilliant if you're just doing movies mm-hmm. how do you balance that what's the way to get through that right now
1: well in my case what i do uh, what i do is i develop a lot right. so hopefully one script's moving quicker than another yes you i know? noticed in your interview there was uh, a lot in
2: uh, yeah, pre-development. I mean, it's, always,
1: it's always a little bit exaggerated but oh, okay. but the truth of the matter is um uh, I guess in a way. I'm not hedging my bets, but I'm, I am... Hedging your bets. I, I'm hedging <laughs> my bets. There you go. Exactly. There you go. So there it is. No, but the truth of the matter is they move at different paces scripts, too. So if you're mm. betting everything on one or two scripts, you're in trouble. Yes. Because nobody's that good. mm, mm.
0: Yeah. yeah, and I, spe- I suppose things do change and different people you expect to like one thing, like something else. And it's, it's a surprise. So yeah, for you sure. You've got to have a couple like, of things, really.
1: you know, But And that's true in television. It's true in a lot of places. But I find it's the most erratic in foreign financing. And also what I find very interesting is the foreign part aspects to it. They tend to value a- actors in particular that we think are a little past their prime. But mm. because they have a track record, they're willing to bet. That's interesting. So it is interesting because yeah. you go like, "Oh, really? Yeah. That guy? I mean, yeah, yeah." Like a few years ago, we would have made a movie with him in a studio, mm-hmm. but now, mm. Mm. and and often they're the most valuable to them, and it, it is one of the things where it, you just got to accept that's the reality.
0: Yeah. Do you ever look outside of the studio system now for material such as? You know, from writers, from anyone else, how, yeah. how, do, how do people get in touch with you or, or do you sort of go through, is it, is it, is it through the system, so <laughs> You to know
1: what, unfortunately, all of us, if we've been around long enough, we've been sued by somebody who claims that we've stole, stole their idea. So sure, sure. we will not accept material from people unless it comes from an agent. But, you know, in my case, for instance, I love reading. So I'm constantly reading books and magazines. And I i try not to read everything through the eyes of, you know, is this a movie? Is this a television series? But you can't help it a little bit, right? Yes. Um, but I find, actually, funny enough, what I pay real attention to is when I go through the airports, which I do a lot, is I always go through the bookstore. Because that tells you what people are looking at. Mm. Uh, and actually, I found the the vince flynn series that way american assassin Uh um i made a movie called derailed which was a Mm -hmm. book that i read and it was out of the you know and i'm reading the the captions of the books going oh that sounds interesting oh that sounds interesting So you can find movies in the airports when you're killing times. That's 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 what I do. I love that because you can see it like the top
2: ten, and you go, okay, what's a yeah? And what are people watching? Little, yeah, yeah, and they and put a little blurb, yes, and you go, well, that's the film. That's blurb, interesting, that's, you know. Yeah. And I mean
1: that that uh, what was the uh, Chris Pratt uh, Terminalist? Yes, that's another one. Yeah, yeah, right. So you, you know, there are a lot of books you can find that way, or even more importantly, sort of st- stories that stimulate what you're interested in, you know? And so you sort of tend to follow that if you're, you know, I have to spend a lot of time killing time in an airport. So Mm -hmm. I'm always going through the, the, not just the top 10, but also just looking at titles and going, is anything going to grab my, but also, you know, uh, we did a movie called Deepwater Horizon, which Mm -hmm. was a New York Times article. brilliant. That was an article. It was was a New New York Times article, um, that was brilliant. And it, they had literally, The reporter had um, researched it so thoroughly; he knew what happened second by second more than anybody else, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, when you may, you know, we found that an interesting idea and it's interesting scale at which you can do it, right? Um, Only the brave was also an article in GQ. Um, So you never know where you're going to find the the things. But like Deep Water, one of the interesting things about it was. BP did not want to see that get made. Of course.
2: Of course they did. Didn't and, and of good course the
1: film company was terrified that uh, mm. BP was going to sue them for every dollar they had and all this stuff. So the New York Times actually supported the film. It's a New York Times uh, supported article, et cetera. And so the validity of the story was based on the reporter's work. Mm-hmm. So therefore you could go, yeah. well, all right, you can't. Yeah. Please Go don't ahead. sue us. Try. Yeah. Try, try you know? sue us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I kept telling the film company, let them sue us. It'll make a huge,
0: <laughs> yes. huge, yes. and it will get much bigger <laughs> box <body laughs> <tops. laughs> yes. Unfortunately,
1: they didn't, or right. maybe fortunately. Right.
2: Exactly. And finally then, you, you, when you're working with people, you're looking for those connections. You mentioned mm-hmm. it earlier, especially when working with someone like Stephen. Yep. And is that something just important across the board within filmmaking is those
1: relationships? No question, and there's no question. I mean, look, I've done nine movies each with Mark Wahlberg and Keanu, wow. so uh, they build on him. You know, mm-hmm. they just do. You know, yeah. five movies with Michael Bay, so mm-hmm. it's it's. Um, I think what is it three or four with Antoine Fuqua. So it's it's. You find a rhythm. You find out somebody has like taste. Yep, um, and also it's super hard. So if you find somebody who's great in the trenches. You want to work with them again mm-hmm. you know the dp on this has done five movies with us yeah not uh, only one two well bumblebee and this and the transformers but three other movies so it's like i know enrique i know i can count on him mm-hmm. and i know he's a lot of fun and keeping the set light Yeah, it's
2: important you know yeah
1: and, i think that's and, a big and one look, actually, and look yeah. at the look yeah. yeah, exactly. So Incredible. Enough Incre- said, you know?
2: Yeah. Listen, Lorenzo, this has been amazing. Thank you yeah. for your time.
1: Great. We really awesome. enjoyed it. Pleasure. Thank
0: you. Yeah, nice and we love the guys. movies.
2: Thank you. Cool. Awesome. So, there we have it. That was Lorenzo di Bonaventuro. What did I tell you? What a guy. What an interview. Um, so much knowledge for you. I love what he looks for in directors. I loved what he said about why understanding psychology is vital for producers. And also reading history books on filmmaking. I love reading biographies and books on filmmaking all the time anyway. So for me, that's like music to my ears. One that I can recommend is Mr. and Mrs. Hollywood. It is by Kathleen Sharp and that really delves deep into the Hollywood history and how things got made back then. There are so many though. So don't just take my word for it um so friday very special for you myself and dom sat down with the director of transformers rise of the beast stephen capel jr and it stars anthony ramos and dominique fishback look out for that on friday it'll be dropping into your podcast of choice choices feed as long as you press the plus button I've noticed that. I don't know about you. If you've been listening to a new podcast uh, and then you try and find it again and it's disappeared off your feed, you need to press the plus button on the top right and that means you've subscribed and therefore it'll come to the top of your feed. So do that with the Filmmakers Podcast if you haven't already. Right, so that's it for this week. You can go out there and make your films. You can go out and make a Transformers film. Do you know what I mean? You can do it. You'll find out how Stephen Caple Jr. did that off the back of one indie film and Creed 2, and then Sydney's making a Transformers film, um, I mean, he had some help, but still, doesn't mean you can't do that. And go out there and believe in yourself. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, and I mean this, you need to send the elevator back down. All those people who are starting out who would love that little bit of help. So if you do get an email this week from a young filmmaker or an old filmmaker, but just starting out on this journey and just want some advice, do you know what? Be kind enough. Do it. Go, yeah, do you know what? I will reply. Yeah, do you know what? I'll jump on a Zoom for 10 minutes or a call. Why not? Send that elevator back down. I know most of you do it anyway, but I tell you what, it means so much. Um, Enough of me, we're in (laughs) on. Like I say, we will see you on Friday for part two of our Transformers special. For now, thank you so much for listening and we will see you on Friday.